here tonight. Here's a good proposition statement for you. Believers should rejoice in the Lord. Amen? That's pretty simple. Christians should rejoice in God. They should rejoice in the Lord. Um, the second part of my proposition is this, and have no confidence in the flesh. We should rejoice in God and have no confidence in the flesh. Naomi, you wanted to sing tonight, didn't you? Well, you're going to get to sing here in just a moment, okay? All right? Um, but in Philippians 3, uh, Paul is talking about how we can rejoice in God and how we should rejoice in God. And how we should reject our flesh. And uh, he has been reminding us in Philippians chapter number 2 of three very faithful workers. If you remember from the last time we studied this about two weeks ago, uh, he reminded himself, reminded us about himself in verses 16 and 17 about how faithful he had been to the ministry and to the work of God. He reminded us about Timothy, the young preacher who had been very faithful to the work, and also reminded them of their own brother in Christ and of their own kind that they're uh, Epaphroditus, who was faithful unto death. And we talked about uh, taking your chances with God. And there's kind of a gambling term here that Paul uses about uh, how, how Epaphroditus uh, was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. That word not regarding is a gambling term. It means to put your stakes and claims on something. Uh, he was willing to put his whole, uh, stake his whole, whole life on God. And, uh, man, may we do that, amen? That'd be a, uh, let's take our chances with the Lord, amen? Uh, it's really not a chance at all, is it? Uh, you win every time with God, as Joshua found out. But um, these three men were uh, willing to take their chances with the Lord. They did not trust in themselves nor in their own abilities, but rather they trusted in God. And so Paul is naturally transitioning from uh, the example that himself and two other men left behind, he's naturally transitioning to his application of that, and that is that we should be the same, that we should follow in their example. And this is some ways in which we can do that. And he offers some tests for us. And two tests we're going to see tonight, the flesh test and the spiritual test.
which is in the law, blameless. But what things, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for crimes. For doubtless, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul is reminding these believers that their final and utmost rejoicing ought to be in Jesus Christ and not in their own accomplishments, not in anything that their flesh uh, could do for them or has done for them. In fact, he tells them in verse number one, he says, it is indeed, it is not grievous for me to write to you about this again. It's obvious that Paul had taught them these things already in verse number one, but he is reminding them of this. Um, the scriptures are full of it. Second Peter is one of the best examples. Second Peter one, four times, Paul, uh, Peter says, I'll bring you into remembrance. I'll bring you into remembrance. He says that four different times. So a lot of times preaching is uh, really just bringing you into remembrance of things that you already know. Uh, one uh, preacher said that uh, really all you do is preach about seven themes your whole entire ministry. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but it probably is pretty true. There's really not really a whole lot much more to elaborate on. It's really all here. There's really just what you see is what you get. And sometimes you might think, well, why are we hearing that again? Or why is that coming up again? There's a lot of different reasons why. But it's not, indeed, it's not grievous. In fact, the word grievous means irksome, or it's not a burden to, uh, to me. Uh, in fact, really, when you think about it, we shouldn't be looking for something new. You know what I mean? There, there is nothing new under the sun. I mean, what's in this book has been preached over a thousand, you know, thousands of times over and over and over again, okay? I'm not going to pull a rabbit out of a hat when I open this book up one day, okay? I, everything that's in here has been preached, will be preached, and will be preached a lot better and has been preached a lot better than I can ever preach it. So there's a lot of here that is just reminders, reminders. And what is he reminding them about? He's reminding them about the gospel. And he said, it's not grievous to me that I should preach the gospel to you again. It's not a grievous thing. He said, but rather for you, it is safe. It is safe. It's helpful for you. And let us never grow tired of hearing the gospel. Amen? Let us never grow tired of hearing the fact that we were all sinners and we all deserve hell. And we all deserve uh, perdition and we all deserve the judgment and the condemnation of God. All of us have. And let us never grow tired. Let us never grow old. Uh, that old, old story that we were lost once. Lost, hopeless sinners deserving hell. And yet God in His great grace brought the gospel to our doorstep. And let us hear the gospel. And let us believe the gospel. And let us heed to the gospel and be saved. Not just saved from our sin, but saved from the guilt, saved from our past, and saved from the penalty that sin had lorded over us. Praise God for that, amen? Let us never be tired of the gospel because it's a lot deeper and it's a lot more, uh, more beautiful than I could ever present to you. 
It's the truths are eternal. But if we ever do find ourselves getting tired of it, or thinking to ourselves, why are we hearing the gospel again on a Wednesday night? You know, whenever you look out and say, man, the gospel again, really. Uh, let us always remember this thought in our hearts and our minds that if we grow cold and indifferent to the gospel truths, then what we're really showing out in our hearts and our lives is that uh, we're starting to not rejoice in the Lord, but we're finding more rejoicing in other things. We're finding greater joy, we're finding greater satisfaction in other things that are in our life. And the greatest truth of all is that we were sinners and Christ died for us on the cross and rose again on the third day. That's the greatest truth that any of us could ever receive and not any of us could ever believe and any of us could ever hear, though we could hear it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I don't believe that the Lord wants us to be laborious or boring. I don't believe preaching ought to be like that. But at the same time, it is oftentimes, it is repetitious. It is repetitious. Just read your epistles. And then I mean, you're just going to read about the gospel in different formats and in different ways all throughout there. But nonetheless, uh, let us not get tired of it. Uh, if I ever get tired of the gospel as a preacher, then really I've become useless. I might speak. I might give you lectures. But I'm really useless to God because I do not herald the only message that can save sinners from eternal damnation. If I stop preaching the gospel, I become useless. I really become useless. I'm just here to promote my own agenda, speak to the welfare of mankind. Paul, in fact, even says, we rejoice in Christ. Uh, but that's not the case for everyone. We ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be happy in our salvation. But not everybody is so. We're going to see a couple of tests here tonight that prove to us and show to us just where we're at. Just where we're at. Number one is, the, as I called it, the flesh test. The flesh test. Paul says it in verse number three at the end of the verse. He says, and I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my flesh. Right there. Well, who has confidence in the flesh? Who are the folks that do? Well, there's two people here that I want to mention to you. The first of all is the first group of people in verse number two. Uh, they are the dogs, the evil workers, and the concision. All right? Um, when I was studying over this, it really uh, got me thinking um, that Paul and Jesus and Peter and the rest of them um, they, they just weren't part of a woke society, were they? I mean, they were. They just said it like it was. I mean, they just called people out on the floor, and they called these people dogs. Now, if I called you a dog today, I mean, you're just an old dog, you know. I would probably, it's not a good term, really, you know. You would probably wouldn't appreciate that if I called you a dog, right? You wouldn't appreciate that, right? Really? Eh, whatever. <laughs> You might, you might not care. Anyhow, but it can be a very derogatory term. But in this case here, in Paul's day, understand that in Paul's day, in biblical times, that the, to call somebody a dog was a very 
degrading uh, way of uh, speech to somebody. It was really putting somebody down. Dogs were not fluffy little cute animals that sat in your lap and retrieved sticks for you, okay? All right? They were mongrels, okay? They were infectious. They, they ate refuse on the street. They were there to clean up uh, the, the, the filth that was there. Uh, they possessed diseases. And they were just, uh, nobody wanted them around, all right? Uh, you remember it was the dogs that came and licked up the blood of Jezebel and ate her bones, all right? And, and, and ate her body. So uh, this is what dogs were. Uh, and he calls these people that are dogs or concision. What are these people? Well, number one, the first group on the flesh test, he says, be careful of these, uh, what most Bible preachers will call Judaizers. Judaizers. That's spelled J-U-D-I-A-Z-E-R-S. It's not in your spell check on your Word Microsoft Word, okay? Uh, you have to add it to dictionary, all right? Uh, but Judaizers. What were Judaizers? Uh, Judaizers um, were people that Paul really uh, takes a lot of time to deal with in the epistle to the Galatians. But Judaizers were very simply somebody uh, that were people that uh, were Jews, yes, but they also accepted Jesus, but they wanted to add to salvation. They wanted to say, okay, we're fine with Jesus. Jesus is cool. We're good with him. But you also need to, uh, if you're a male, you need to be circumcised. If you're a parent, if you're a Christian family, then you need to have your make sure your sons are circumcised. You need to make sure that you're following these feast days and you're following. You need to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. They were Jew deizers, is what they were. Paul calls them dogs. They were men that. Uh, Dogs is a very descriptive name of them because they were men that came behind the apostle uh, after he had started a church. They were dogs because they bit and snapped at the apostle Paul's heels. They came behind. They were scavengers. Uh, They were men that couldn't start their own churches but could only go in and disrupt other churches is what they were. Uh, They were dogs because they carried diseases. Uh, They carried the infectious diseases of uh, religion wherever they went. And they were always, as I said, sniffing at Paul's heels. They were always putting Paul down. Uh, That's always, in the epistles, you always find the Judaizers doing those three type things. Putting Paul down, never starting their own work, always coming in to uh, piggyback off of somebody else. And because uh, a dog's lazy, right? I mean, I got two dogs, you know, about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. You know what it is? It's nap time till five, you know? I mean, they're just out. I don't know how you can sleep like that all the time. And they're just lazy. And they're, they're, if anything's available to eat, immediately they'll get it. They were evil workers. It's the same group. He hasn't changed uh, uh, people. Paul wrote a letter to Galatians about these false teachers because they were evil workers. They believed uh, their works to be righteous, but in reality, their works were evil. 
Um, that's the that's the caveat there is that they think we're doing good, but in reality they were doing evil. They were doing bad. They were doing more harm than good. They were distorting the faith and they were causing the confusion amongst people. And then he calls them the concision. And in our English Bibles, it's really uh, unique here. Uh, I think the King James is very unique sometimes how it does this and uh, how it translates out. It's really beautiful. But in verse 2, he says, Beware of the concision because we are a part of the circumcision. Uh, there's kind of a play on words. It even comes out in our English uh, 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 in a very unique way. But in the Greek, it even comes out there too because Paul says there, you are the katatome, that is the word uh, for concision. You're the katatome. He says we uh, are part of the paratome. Can you hear the two different, the same right there? Katatome uh, and paratome. Uh, the word concision means uh, to cut down, to cut off, or to mutilate. Paul says that these people were not just mutilating people's flesh uh, for their own heretical teachings, but they were mutilating the gospel with their heretical teachings, is what they were doing. Uh, they were cutting down and cutting off certain parts of the gospel that needed not to be there. And sadly, such teaching is still performed today. There are sects out there that require circumcision, even female circumcision. There are people out there more frequently, though, you find people adopting that Jesus is a good teacher, right? Jesus is a moral man. Jesus might be even Lord, and he might be even God, uh, per se. They recognize that he died on a cross, that he saved people, that he uh, healed people, that he forgives people of their sins, but... They always have to add something to the gospel. These are Judaizers. And we don't call them Judaizers anymore, but we could call them dogs. Evil workers. They're teaching this. They're putting this out. There. Yes, we believe in Jesus. Yes, he died on the cross for our sins. Yes, he rose again from the dead. Uh, yes, we believe all of that. Yes, he's God. He is the Son of God. Uh, but... You also need to be baptized. You also need to take part of the Eucharist. Uh, you also need to subscribe to the teachings of Ellen G. White. Uh, you also need to uh, make sure that you're a part of this particular church. Uh, you also need to, you've got to do all of these things, and if you fit within their box, then you're a Christian. Does that make sense? That's a Judaizer. That's a dog. That's an evil worker. That's a concision. They're mutilating the gospel is what they're doing. And Paul says stay away from them. It's good that you hear the gospel over and over and over again. So when a dog comes to you, an evil worker comes to you and tries to persuade you to get away from the gospel, you go, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Wait a Baptism also to be saved, uh, 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 to, to be saved, to be go to heaven. I also need to join this particular church in order to be saved. I have to be a member of your church. There are people that teach these things. Uh, if you don't do these particular things, then it's even taught in our world today. You know, just ask anybody. 
This, this is a great question. If you were to die today, this is a great, you know, some people say, well, I don't like hypotheticals. So it's really not a hypothetical. It is a hypothetical, but it's not really hypothetical because we're all going to die, right? Right. You know, so it's, you know, if you were to die today, and that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Hypothetically speaking, we all could die today, right? If you were to die today, and you were to stand before God in judgment, okay? It's a great question for people. And as you're standing there before God in judgment, and He asks you, you, you believe that there's a God? Yes, I believe there's a God. You believe there's a judge? Yes, I believe I'm going to. Do you believe that, 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 that God has a kingdom called heaven? Yes. Okay. If God's standing there and He says, what, why should I let you into my kingdom we call heaven? Why should I let you in? What is it that's going to get you into this place? The majority of people are going to say, what? Anybody want to take a guess? Marshall? By my good works. By my good works. I've really tried to make this world a better place than when I left, than whenever I first came into it. Uh, I've been baptized. I've prayed. Uh, I've been a member of the Christian church. Uh, my dad is a preacher. My uncle is a preacher. My uncle twice removed. Uh, his cousin is a preacher. You know, uh, 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 I got married in a church. I've heard people say that before. You know, uh, you know, all kinds of things. If you were to stand before God today, and that's a great question for all of us here tonight. All right. In your mind, if you were to stand before God tonight, what would you say to God? Why should I let you into my kingdom? If you don't know the answer to that, then you ought to come see me. If you can't think of that answer, if you're waiting for me to give you the answer, then you ought to come see me. Because there is eternal damnation and perdition and destruction and condemnation to everybody that is not saved. If we're not talking, if Paul isn't talking about like, he's not talking about like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? You know what I mean? Amen. He's not saying, do you like Trump or Biden? You know? Or, or, or how about this? If someone were to ask you, do you like Trump or Biden? All right? And you just said, ah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get into politics. You know? I don't really care for either one of them. I don't really do all that. I don't even vote, you know? Okay? You could say all of that, and, and that be I don't have an opinion on it. But when it comes to the gospel, and Jesus Christ the Lord, and heaven and hell, and, and, and eternal reward or eternal destruction, you can't, when God, when you see God, you can't be like, I don't have an opinion, okay? There is none of that. It's, it's, it's heaven or hell. It's, it's life or death. It's, it's either one, my friend. There's no in-between there. There's no purgatory. There's no place where you get to sit down and meditate on the thing for a little while. No, 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 no. If you were to stand before God today, then what would your answer be? If it's anything less than, I believe, the only reason that I'm going can come into your kingdom, God, is because I have believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins 
He rose again the third day, and I'm resting everything upon Jesus, your son. Period. Nothing else. That's all. If, if I'm not saying that has to be your exact answer. But you get my point. These Judaizers were saying, no, you got to add something. A preacher was speaking to a woman one time when she was dealing with this, and she believed that uh, salvation was like a, a rowboat, you know, that you got faith in one hand and in one oar, you got works in the other. What are the other oar? You're paddling. And he acknowledged her illustration, and he said, ma'am, I can understand where you're coming from, but the only problem is, is that we don't go to heaven in rowboats. And, uh, you don't go to heaven, you know, on roller skates or on, or on on rowboats or anything like that. The only people that get you to heaven, you know who brings you to heaven? Luke 16? The angels. They're your escort to heaven. You're not getting there on your own, my friend. It's only through God. So you have two people that are dealing with the flesh. You have the flesh test, you have the Judaizers, and then you have the religious. Now, I separated them up because, uh, because I think it's very very telling for us in our text here because Paul does this, all right? Because in verse number four, Paul says he takes Jesus even out of the equation here, and he says that if there's anybody that could rest in his flesh before they're a Christian or anything, it would be me. It would be me. This religious crowd doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus or not. Jesus may be important. He might not be important. But the point being is this, is that Paul is sketching for us an illustration of himself. And he said, if there's anybody that's got something to boast in, it would be me. It would be me. According to the flesh he's talking about. He's saying about these dogs, these workers, the evil workers, that if they think they can boast, wait till I tell you who I am. He says, I am circumcised the eighth day. Before I even had reason to understand, I was able to trust in my flesh. All right? I'm not like any of these dogs or these evil workers or those of the concision. I'm not a proselyte. I didn't get into this thing later on. No, I've been in it since the eighth day of my life. All right? My parents took care of me. He's of the stock of Benjamin. He was a Jew from the moment that he was born of the true stock of God. From Abraham's line all the way down the promised seed, if you will. He says, I am a Benjamite. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Do uh, you realize that Benjamin was one of Jacob's favorite sons? One of the true patriarchs of Israel. The three patriarchs of Israel, uh, 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 of Israel are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had two sons, two of them who be favored because of his favorite wife, Rachel. And his favorite wife, Rachel, gave him two sons, Joseph, who he lost for nearly 18 years, 18, 20 years. And then he had another son who was his favorite son after that by Rachel, Benjamin. He says, I'm from that son. Also, don't let me, don't let you forget that Benjamin, uh, our tribe, like Judah, we didn't leave off like the rest of those other tribes did. We stayed close by the temple. We worshiped during the temple days. We never left off. We didn't. De- we weren't. We weren't. Uh, we weren't uh, rebels like the like the other ten tribes were. 
Uh, we, were, we were a part of this. And also, by the way, uh, the first king of Israel was a Benjamite too. So he had a lot to be proud of here. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What that literally means is this. I had to look this up and understand Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? Literally, when a Jew would say they were a Hebrew of a Hebrew, it literally meant that they could trace their bloodline all the way back to Abraham. And in doing so, they proved, they would prove that they were not a part, they had no Gentile blood whatsoever in them. They were Hebrew of Hebrew. Uh, they went all the way back, maybe even to uh, Heber, who is the uh, where they get the word Hebrew from, a, uh, a relative of Seth, and so a son of Seth. So he's tracing all the way back there, saying, I'm, I'm Hebrew of Hebrew, no, no Gentile blood in me. He was also a Pharisee. He possessed all of the proper pedigree of the perfect Jewish man. But he was also a strict adherer to the law of God. He knew God's law. He memorized God's law. And he was of the strictest sect of all the Jews. Not only that, but he had zeal. I mean, it's great if you're a Jew. It's great if you're a Pharisee. But it's even greater if like, you're, you're one of the leaders, right? I mean, he was, uh, he, was the, he was the who's who in the Pharisee community. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was, he was it. He had inroads to the chief priests because he requested of the chief priests letters to go to Damascus to haul Jews, uh, Christianized Jews, bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail. I mean, he was zealous. And he was blameless as touching the law. What does that mean? That means that you can take the law of God and put it up to his physical life and nobody could find anything wrong with him. He was perfect. How many of you like perfect people? Paul was perfect. He was blameless. He had, there was nothing. There was not one thing that you could ever accuse him of. Nobody was ever like, you know what? Whenever you were 15 years old, you did that. You know what I'm saying? No. Nothing. Nothing. Not one thing. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel from the time he was a child, learning the scriptures, learning the law. This guy was at the top. This religious person today is a man or a woman of our day that trusts in everything else in their life but Christ. Everything else. These people still exist. Trust in their works. Everything but Jesus. Everything but the Lord. To try to get their life right and be right and be moral. This is the flesh test. And I think it shows for us a good test for us as even as Christians. Not in salvation, but in our daily walk with Jesus. That we don't get so tied to what our pedigree is, or who our parents were, or what church I used to go to, or where I grew up or what age I got saved or this about my life or I used to do this or I used to do that or I have done this or I'm a part of that. And sadly, Christians can sometimes 
base their Christianity on what they have or have not done or what they're willing to do or what they're willing to go or where they have been or what are all those kinds of things. You know, it would be very easy, I guess, for me to stand up here or to talk to somebody and say, you know what? Well, I've been on a mission. I've been on mission trips. I've been to I've been to Africa. I've been to India. I've been to Alaska. I've been to Guyana. I mean, I've been all over the world. I've preached the gospel here. I've done this. I've done that. I've not. I mean, it would be very easy to talk about myself and say, I've done this and I've done that, and and, and then base those, use those as a basis for my Christianity and say, you know what? Look how much I have done. I must be good with God. That's, that's very easy, and that's a trap that all of us fall into. And we have to be so careful that we don't fall into that trap and understanding that we should rejoice not in what I have done, not in, but in the fact we should rejoice in who? The Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the who? Lord. The only reason I'm able to do any of the things that I can do is because of God. And I ought to rejoice in the Lord. Point to Him. Point to the Lord. Point to say, man, I, I get to serve God. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Amen. It is. I was I was kind of happy. I kind of got a little I kind of got a little charged up on Sunday. And I was a, that wasn't an easy message to hear on Sunday, alright? How many thinks that was an easy message to hear? That wasn't an easy message. I was like thinking, man, Brother Florence, you know. Um, you know, I don't need you to preach like that here. I need something encouraging. I need a pep talk, you know. Uh, it wasn't an easy message to hear, but you know what? I kind of got charged up when I heard that message. It helped me out. Because I, I, I felt like I saw somebody up here too that was happy about what they were doing. And, and y'all just saw them on Sunday, but I got to spend Friday and Saturday with them and Sunday afternoon with them. And I, you know what? I saw somebody that was happy about what they wanted to do. They were ready to go back. They were real too. I mean, he told me, he said, I was ready to come home. He said, I was going to quit. I was so tired and wore out. Brother Florence told me. He said, I had to come home. I was tired. I was tired. He said, I found out I was trying to, I was trusting in me. Trying to, me trying to get everything done. And my faith was lacking because I was trusting in me. And because when your faith is lacking, whenever you start putting all your chips on you, staking your claim on you, you see what I'm saying? You start rejoicing in you. I'll tell you what, won't be long you'll be getting depressed. You'll be getting cold-hearted. You'll be getting prideful. We've got to put our trust in God, in the Lord. We've got to rejoice in the Lord. Put no confidence in the flesh. None. We have the flesh test. What are you trusting in? And then you have the spiritual test. We'll look at the spiritual test next time. May God help us to be rejoicing in the Lord. Amen? No confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. You know, I visit some of these, and this is like I was saying earlier, it's kind of a unique time in the my ministry, but uh, visiting some of these folks that are, are older and not able to, and I think, you know what, 
my mind kind of thinks, you know, if God willing, I might live to that age one day. And uh, really shows me how weak the flesh is. How weak it is. Or you could take somebody like me, a, a young, healthy man, and all of a sudden get some sickness, and immediately the flesh is weakened. It's put down. It can't even move. You know, you get Hodg- you know, my age, you get Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know, I'd be in the bed. I wouldn't be able to move. You know, we could get in a, a car wreck, break our leg. No confidence in the flesh, my friend. We've got to put rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He's the only thing that, that person that makes it possible. Let us get away from the flesh. Let us put our trust and let us put our rejoicing. Let us put our joy in Jesus. Amen. Jesus, others, you. That spells joy. That spells joy. May God help us to put Jesus first. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. We're thankful for the many blessings. We're thankful for joy that comes through Jesus. Help us, Lord, to rejoice in the Lord and put no confidence in the flesh. In Jesus' name.